0: you to Easton Life Church it's awesome to be able to worship with you this morning and as you can tell hopefully from being here uh, we are a people that are not afraid to worship we're not afraid to let God know that we're grateful for his grace and for his mercy because he's been very very good to us he has been um, our sustainer he's been our provider he has been our salvation he has given us a new life and we are grateful to him and we're not afraid to let the world know it and God has been very good to us and we're so glad that you're joining us this morning we are in a series, we're in almost about, the, I want to say we're in the seventh week of a series we're doing called The Big Picture. We're doing this series called The Big Picture because in the world today, we believe that we're seeing a bit of a, a cultural shift, a, a shift in morality, a shift in thinking, a, a shift in belief system. We're watching this happen before our very eyes and we see ourselves sort of at a crossroads in our culture and we want to go back to the Word of God because the Word of God is where truth is found, Amen. Too many people are relying on their own understanding, they're relying on their own thoughts, they're relying on their own opinions about what's true and what's not true and what we should do and who should be in power and who should have the authority. And the reality is all of the truth we need is found in the Word of God. It's all we need. And if we'll simply go to it and be obedient to do what it says, we will have everything we need. So we're doing this series called The Big Picture which is to kind of take what's happening in the world and relate it to what the Bible has to say and to understand how we can move forward. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 on the topic of spiritual warfare. We're reading about the armor of God. and In Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, it says this. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Church, this morning we have to recognize, if we are to see the big picture, is that in the big picture, our problems are rooted in the spiritual, what we don't see, rather than the physical. While we look around the world and we think that our problems are people, We think that the people over here are the problem, or maybe the person sitting next to us is the problem. We may think that the problem is people. We may think that the problem is political. It's the other side of the aisle that's causing all the problems. We may think that the problem is political. We may think that it's social or cultural. In reality, all of these problems that we see in the physical world are simply a reflection of something that's happening in the spiritual world, which we cannot see, okay? Beyond what we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears, there is a battle going on in the spiritual realm that we do not see, but we have to understand and believe by faith that it is happening. And what's happening down here is a reflection of what's happening in the spiritual realm that we don't see. So the battles that you're facing, and I don't know what battle you're facing. Like I said, a lot of you I've never even seen before. I don't know if you're here for the baptism or maybe if you just woke up and God said, hey, go to 3rd Street in Metropolis. Whatever reason you're here today, I know that there's battles going on in your life. All of us face them. All of us have battles that are happening in our life. And the truth is, if you try to fight spiritual battles with earthly weaponry, you will not be successful. And you'll be exhausted. Too many people today think that if I can simply prove that person wrong on Facebook, I'll win the spiritual battle. What you find is that that's a trap. Too many people... Think that if I watch the news and get enough information, I'll feel better about what's happening. And At the end of the day, you feel worse. Too many people think that if I can convince the other side, if I can convince those who disagree with me to agree with me, I will have won. But in reality, it seems like we're getting further and further from the ability to even agree with one another. So it feels like we're fighting a losing battle. I want to submit to you today, we are not fighting a losing battle, but we are fighting a losing battle if we fight a spiritual battle with earthly weapons. We're fighting a losing battle if we fail to recognize where the true battle is taking place. This is a spiritual war, not a physical one, okay? And the Apostle Paul, who wrote this scripture, he wrote Ephesians, he wrote Ephesians chapter 6, he was writing to a church much like me and you. He was writing to a church much like this one. They faced many of the same problems back then that we face today, and I would even dare say many of them, especially the social and political ones, were probably worse than we face today. They faced intense persecution. They faced a lot of issues in the church. And Paul wrote to them, and he wrote to them to tell them how to fight the spiritual battle in the spiritual realm while still being here on earth. The good news is you and I are not defenseless. Amen? Amen. As it looks like chaos swirls around us, the good news is, is that we can defend ourselves and we can fight back. But we don't do it as the world does it. There is a method And there is a methodology behind how we win this battle. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 6.13. He says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. I want you to turn and look uh, look at your neighbor and say, stand your ground. Church, we don't have to win the battle. We don't have to win the battle. Notice this. With the battle going on, and we're told to put on this armor of God, we are told that when we put on the armor of God, what we can expect to do is to stand our ground. We can stand our ground. The great thing about the Christian life is that you don't have to win the battle on your own. Amen? You don't have to win the battle. You don't have to change everybody's mind. You don't have to prove everybody else wrong. You don't have to be the last man standing. The great thing about the Christian life is that when you put on this spiritual armor that the Bible is talking about, all God expects you to do is stand your ground. He expects you to stand. Don't quit. Don't sit down. Don't lay down. Don't stop fighting. Simply stand your ground. We say it this way at Eastern Life Church. I've heard Pastor Brian preach this a lot. We're not going to quit today. Amen. You ever been tempted to quit? Maybe quit on your marriage, quit on your job, quit on your family, quit your church, quit the Christian life in general, just quit trying. You get exhausted and you're just like, I can't do it anymore. I'm just ready to quit. Pastor Brian used to always say, don't quit today. Don't quit today. You can think about it, but don't quit today. Whatever you're going through, I want to encourage you this morning. You've got the grace you need to stand your ground today. You don't have to quit today. You've got the grace you need to withstand the battle today. I love the way King David said it in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Look at this. Y'all remember this story. This was David and Goliath um, in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 17. David, little scrawny, 14, 15-year-old David, before he was king, before he was a mighty warrior, he was not equipped. He didn't have... The ability to wear all the armor that the king thought that he needed. And yet he stood before this giant who was threatening God's people. And he stood before this giant completely ill equipped to win the battle that he had put himself in. And he said this He said, All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. I'll say that again. The battle, church, is the Lord's. The political battles in our country are the Lord's, they're not ours. We don't have to win them. The battle on social media with the people that you disagree with, that battles the Lord's. You don't have to win that. You simply need to keep doing what you're doing. As we, the church, stand our ground in this culture, we don't have to win because the battle has already been won. We fight from victory, not for victory. Jesus Christ has won the battle. And Jesus Christ is responsible for the outcome of the battle, and we are simply asked to stand our ground. We don't quit, and we don't bend, and we don't change where we stand. Church, too many people in the church today are compromising. They may continue to stand, but they may shift their position a little bit. We're seeing this over and over today. Many people in the church, they're standing. They're still looking and sounding like the church, but they're shifting their position. We stay planted firmly in the word of God and in the truth of God. Amen? We don't shift there. David said this. He says, the battle is the Lord's, and he's going to give you into our hands today. So we see in Ephesians chapter 6, the battle belongs to the Lord, and it's our job to stand our ground. That's what God is asking us to do. So he says in verse 14 of Ephesians 6, he says, stand firm then, "...with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace." So this is where we've been so far. If you've, gone, if you've seen the messages that we've done so far, this is what we've preached about. The belt of truth buckled around our waist, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. These are the pieces of armor that God has given us to defend ourselves in the spiritual realm. We don't fight with earthly weapons, and we don't defend ourselves with earthly armor. If you want to win the battles you're facing today, we must first understand that they're taking place in the spiritual realm, and then we must understand what spiritual weapons and spiritual armor that we have available to us to fight in that battle. And we are told here, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, and the shoes of readiness that comes from knowing and understanding the gospel of peace. Paul says here, These three things are non-negotiable. In fact, I'll put it this way. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I wonder if anybody will be unashamed and just say that's me today. I know Jesus is my Savior. He's my Lord and Savior. A lot of hands up in the room. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, those three pieces of armor came with the deal. You just got those, okay? Those are not something that you have to go find individually that you take on and take off as you see fit. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, these three pieces of armor are non-negotiable. These are part of the package deal. You can't know Jesus and be a Christian without the gospel, amen? You must know and understand that you are a sinner, you were born a sinner, and that your sin keeps you separated from a holy God who is the just judge of the universe, And the only way to be put in right relationship with him is to have somebody take your place because you and I can never live the sinless life that is God's standard. Jesus Christ came and did that for us. The Bible says in John chapter 3, probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. You can't get Jesus without believing that. If you're going to be a Christian, that's got to be the shoes that you stand on. That's got to be your foundation. You with me? The breastplate of righteousness is a piece of armor that speaks to the fact that our protection comes in not how good we are or how good we can try to be, but our protection and our safety comes from the fact that Jesus Christ was righteous because I can't be. How do you know that God's happy with you today? I just want to ask you this. You Christians in the room, and maybe you're not a Christian, How can you know that God's happy with you? How do you know you've done enough? How do you know that you're good enough? How do you know that you're living a life that's pleasing to God? How can you possibly know? The reality is none of us can please God. The Bible says there are none who seek God. But because Jesus came and died for us while we were yet sinners, the Bible says we have received His righteousness. We've received his righteousness. So you may say today, well, what type of person do I have to be for God to be happy with me? How good do I have to be for God to love me? This is the good news of the gospel. You can't be good. You don't have to be good. You must simply admit that you're not good and run to Jesus. And his goodness will cover you. That's called the breastplate of righteousness. Well, what if I fail? If I fail, I've still got the breastplate on. I'm protected because it's his righteousness, not my righteousness. This good news is not like any other religion. If anybody ever tells you that all religions are the same and Christianity is just like every other religion, you tell them that in our religion, in our belief system, our God became man and dwelt among us and lived the life I couldn't live and died the death that I couldn't die, and I can stand here as a flawed person, righteous because of what Jesus did for me. No other belief system teaches that. If you're going to have Jesus... You've got to know and believe the gospel. You've got to be covered with his righteousness. And finally, truth must be a non-negotiable in your life. He says we wear the belt of truth. The idea of the belt of truth speaks to the fact that all the armor that we wear is connected to this belt that we fit around us, and it's called truth. Truth in our world today has gone from being the objective standard of what God says is right and wrong, and it has instead become a subjective standard by which we decide what's true and what isn't true. Truth has become whatever I think. In fact, you may have heard today in our culture the phrase that a few thousand years ago probably would have sounded nonsensical, and in fact it is nonsensical, the idea of my truth. You ever heard anybody talk about their truth? My truth says dot, dot, dot. And I've got my truth, and you've got your truth, and it's important that if you're going to love me, you must accept my truth. And if I'm going to love you, I must accept your truth. And we all get to determine what is true and what isn't true. In reality, truth is not determined by me and you. In fact, the Bible said in John chapter 14 that truth is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the living Son of God. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Therefore, if truth is a person, then the truth that we must abide by must be whatever that person said. Amen? If Jesus said it, it's true. If Jesus says something is right, it's right. If Jesus says something is wrong, it's wrong. And that's as far as I need to go when it comes to truth. Truth is an objective standard by which we live our life and if you are going to be a Christian we must lay down our desire to define what is true for me and I must instead submit to what Jesus says is true because that is the only objective standard by which we can live so we get these three pieces of armor and these are just part of the deal If you're gonna be a Christian you got Christ righteousness you got the gospel of peace and you've got the belt of truth these are three of the spiritual pieces of armor that are going to protect you in the spiritual battle. But in verse 16, he goes a little further. And this is, where we're going to, this is where we're going to camp today. In verse 16, he says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. He says, in addition to these three pieces of armor, take up the shield of faith. Now notice he says, take it up. This verb means literally... To raise up. So all this other armor you keep on. In fact, the way the Bible says it is that this other armor is something that you sort of fall into. This other armor just becomes part of who you are. You wear it every day and you never take it off. You sleep in it. You wake up in it. You walk in it. You live in it. But the shield of faith is a piece of armor that you take up as you need it. You raise it up as you need it. And no doubt, Paul was referencing the shields that the Roman army would have been using at that time. At this time that Paul's writing Ephesians, the Romans were the most powerful empire in the world. And he was likely referencing the armor they used when he wrote Ephesians chapter 6. This is an example of a Roman shield. It's called a scutum. It's made of plywood. And it's made of plywood so that it can be lightweight and flexible. It can be easily picked up when you need it. But because it's made of treated plywood, it's very, very strong. It's very easy to carry with you. And it was an essential part of being in the Roman infantry. There are times where the armor that we wear is enough of a defense. But there are times where the attack could become so profound that simply having the armor on isn't good enough. You need something to protect you against the onslaught. You see, Paul is referencing... This idea of the evil day. He said that earlier in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, you wear this armor so that when the evil day comes, you can stand your ground. Now, in this world that we live in, every day has its own troubles, right? Nobody ever wakes up and has a perfect day. From the time you wake up to the time you go to bed at night, everything goes just as planned. But there are some days that are particularly difficult, Tony Evans calls the evil day the day that all hell breaks loose in your life. It's the day that it seems like Satan is keyed in on you and is after you. Anybody ever been there? If you've ever gotten that knock on the door at 3 a.m., if you've ever gotten that phone call with that medical diagnosis, if you've ever gotten the shocking news that changed your life, if you've ever been hurt by somebody close to you, and maybe you've not recovered from that, then you've experienced the evil day. For some of us, the evil day happened years ago, and it still sticks with us today. For some of us, something was done or something was said in the past that to this very day still reverberates in our head. Anybody with me? It's like those moments in your life that you just play over and over again like a movie in your mind. It's the evil day. And for most of us, I believe that Paul understood that the attacks in our lives can get so profound, they can get so intense, that we need to be able to raise up the shield of faith to defend ourselves. I believe that's what Paul is speaking to. Tony Evans, talking about faith, said this. He says that faith is simply acting on the truth. Faith is acting on the truth. You can get into a lot of different ideas of what faith is, and there are some scriptures that explain faith, but sometimes even the scriptures that explain faith are complicated. Dave, Like the one in Hebrews that says that faith is the evidence of things hoped for and the substance of things not seen. That doesn't clear it up for me that much. So when somebody can simply put it like this and say that faith is acting on the truth, I believe that's accurate because James chapter 2, talking about faith, says that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. You see, part of the Christian life, is not simply believing something in our head, but it's acting it out with our hands and feet. And you may say, well, wait a minute, I thought there was nothing good that we could do to make ourselves right with God, and that's true, but the reality is, if you've been clothed in this armor, and you now find yourself in the spiritual battle, if you're a Christian, the evidence of your faith is going to work itself out in action. Does that make sense? It's not simply enough to say that you believe the truth. We must be willing to act on the truth. And by acting on it, we prove that we believe it. If the tornado sirens began to go off right now, and somebody got up and looked out the door and we could see the storm coming, and Pastor Brian grabbed the mic and said, okay, everybody, we need to take cover. There's a storm coming. It's not simply good enough to say that I believe the storm is coming. If we really believe it, we're going to take cover. There are many people in the world that call themselves Christians, who say they have faith because they have said something with their mouth or they have thought something in their head, but it has never been true in their life. It doesn't come out in their actions. It doesn't come out in their response. I would say to you, you will not experience the grace of God if you don't act out your faith. Faith is acting on the truth. And look how Paul explains this. He said, you get these three pieces of armor, you get the gospel, you get Jesus' righteousness, you get the truth, but you pick up in addition... The shield of faith as it's needed. The idea here is that these are always connected. Do you see it? Our faith has to be connected to truth. Our faith has to be connected to the gospel. And our faith has to be connected to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We keep truth, righteousness, and the gospel on, and we raise the shield of faith up as needed. We raise the shield up as needed. Let's put it this way. Faith is always tied to truth, righteousness, and the gospel. There is a trend happening in the world today as regards to religion and what what religions people identify with. If you'll notice in America today, and this isn't true for the whole world. In fact, in the world, Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, Christianity is actually growing worldwide. But in America, it's not really growing, it's shrinking. Those who identify as Christians are, are becoming fewer and fewer in the culture in which we live. Probably within our lifetimes, other cultures will be sending missionaries to us, which is tragic to think about. But in America, Christianity is not growing, it's shrinking. But atheism, or the idea that there is no God, there is no transcendent reality, that that we are basically nature and that's it, atheism isn't really growing. Maybe it's growing a little bit, but it's it's at a very, very slow rate. It's really not atheism that's growing in religion's place or in Christianity's place. What's actually growing is an idea... That we can have faith, but that faith doesn't have to be attached to any truth claims. Okay, you may hear it said this way. I, I, heard, I hear this uh, coming from, you hear this a lot coming from our media, coming from Hollywood, coming from movies, coming from TV. You'll hear a lot of celebrities say things like this. They'll say, I'm a person of faith. Or they may say something like this. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. What that means is, is that they believe in a transcendent reality. They believe that there probably is a God or God's or something. They have faith that this world is not all there is, but they're not ready to stand on an exclusive place of truth where they declare that there is only one Lord, that there's only one Christ, and that's Jesus. They're not ready to go there yet. They're just willing to say, you know what, I've got faith, but I don't really know exactly what I've got faith in. And what we find today is that faith in something, but something ill-defined and something that we can't put our finger on, faith in simply some reality out there somewhere is not good enough. Because if you remember, there is a war going on, and the war going on in the spiritual realm is not vague and unidentifiable. It is specific. It is Satan and it is demons positioned against the people of God in this world today. And to say that we simply have faith in something is not good enough. To say that you believe in your head in something out there is not good enough. The Bible says that there is only one name by which men are saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. Faith must always be tied to truth, righteousness, and the gospel. Too many people today simply say, I have faith, I've got faith, I've got faith. And when you ask what that faith means, what we generally say Is I believe. I believe that God will do this. I believe that God's going to come through. I believe this. I believe that. But in reality, remember, faith isn't simply believing. Faith is acting on the truth. Church, the shield of faith must be picked up to be effective. The shield of faith must be picked up to be effective. I believe there's two things, and this is where I'm going to get ready to close. There are two things that are happening today with regards to the shield of faith that I think are detrimental to Christianity at large. Number one. Because the shield of faith must always be connected to truth, I believe that we're seeing many churches and many Christians today with some form of faith, but it's not connected to truth. There's some churches today, and you may or may not be aware of this, and my goal today is not to call out somebody that you may like or somebody that you may listen to, but the reality is the Bible says we are to point out false teachers as they are. And we do that because we love people too much to let them live in a falsehood and let them live in a lie. There are a lot of churches out there, and there are a lot of people out there that call themselves pastors. There's a lot of people out there that call themselves Christians, and what they've tied their faith to is an institution. They've tied their faith to a worldly institution. I think there's two ways to build a church today. I think the way you see most often is this. You do your best to get connected with people and to make people feel good. In church growth culture, we call that meeting felt needs. Whatever a person's felt need is, whether that felt need is community, whether that felt need is love, whether that felt need is belonging, or whether that felt need is connection, whether that felt need is food, water, whatever it is, we meet those felt needs. And as people come in and as we grow and we are able to make more and more money, we're able to up the um, entertainment factor, if you will. We're able to up the production value, and we can build a church in America just like we can build a business. And as it grows and we can put a better product out there on the stage, we are able to draw in more people because we can meet more felt needs with all of these resources that we get. The problem is there's a lot of big churches out there that are doing this, but it's not tied to the truth of the gospel. You will not hear some of these megachurch pastors talk much about sin because talking about sin means that we have to be willing to step on somebody's version of truth. And when you do that, you're no longer meeting their felt needs, so they just don't talk about sin that much. If there's somebody that you're listening to, somebody that you're learning from, and you can't get a definitive answer on specific issues of sin and righteousness and the gospel, if you're not hearing about the cross of Jesus Christ, if you're not hearing about our sin that separates us from God and the substitution and the atonement of Jesus Christ in our place, You need to run from that because you're not listening to a church, you're listening to a business. You're consuming a product that's being put out there for you. That's one way to build a church. The other way is to simply raise the shield of faith. And as Satan comes against it, we can stand our ground because Jesus Christ said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. How do we know that? We know it because we are given the shield of faith. And it says in verse 16, it says, With this shield of faith, we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This is where he ends talking about the shield of faith. He says, with the shield of faith, we extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. So now we get to see why these shields are so effective. Can we put um, the picture of the shield back up there for just a second? We're going to get to that. That's really cool. This one right here, I want to show you this. These shields are put there so that when the enemy starts shooting arrows at you, you can block them. And actually, these shields were famous for Um, they would actually not only block the arrows, but the arrows wouldn't even get through. So the arrows wouldn't even stick to the shield. They would just bounce off. Really, really cool shields. But the enemies got smart, and they figured out that when you're fighting the Romans, if you really want to mess their day up, set your arrows on fire and then shoot them because it'll then hit the shield, set the shield on fire, and when you set the shield on fire, it won't be good anymore. Paul is telling us here that Satan is working in much the same way. Satan's goal for your life... He may not be able to take the armor off that you're wearing. You with me? Satan can't remove the righteousness of Jesus Christ in your life. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got that. Satan can't take that off of you. If you've got the gospel of peace in your life, he can't take that from you. If you have the belt of truth buckled around your waist, that is there and that can't be taken from you. But let me tell you what Satan can do and what he wants to do. What he wants to do is burn down everything in your life that he can get his hands on. He wants to burn your life down. The Bible says it this way, that when sin is conceived, it brings forth death. It is literally like a fire burning in your life. Satan is looking to set a fire in your life and burn up everything good around you and leave you with nothing. The Romans got wise to this and they began to dip their shields in water. They began to dip their shields and soak them in water before they would go out into battle so that when the arrows would hit the shields, it would extinguish the arrows, and the arrows would then become useless. They figured this out. They figured this out. Remember, we fight a spiritual battle, and we must use spiritual weapons. This shield is only effective if raised, but this is where I want to close. Put that last picture up there, that group of guys you see there. Now, I doubt that those are real Roman soldiers. I bet those are probably, uh, <laughs> those are probably regular guys who have an unusual, unusual fascination with uh, Roman weaponry. But, pretty good representation. And as silly as this group of guys look, this is actually a pretty effective strategy they employed. They called this, that you see here, the Roman turtle. I wish there was a cooler name for it, but that's what they called it. They called it the Roman turtle. What they figured out was, is that as effective as a shield was to protect you, if you could get yourself in a group of people who had these shields... When the enemy starts raining flaming arrows on you, your best chance for survival, and get this, not only survival, but advancement, your only way to move forward when the arrows are raining down on you would be to get in a group of people with these shields and band them together so that it would provide an even more effective covering for the entire group of people. You see, you've probably got 20 or 25 people in this group, and every one of them are safe because they figured out how to use the shields in unison. You see where I'm going with this, don't you? It's important that as you experience the attack of the enemy in your life, that you learn to raise that shield of faith to protect yourself. But it's more important that you learn to do that in the context of a local body of believers. You see, the phrase being a member of a church isn't really in style today because it doesn't really match the consumption model of the American church There are people that would have you believe that it is simply enough to come to church one or two days a week. It is simply enough for you to come to church one or two days a week, consume a sermon, Uh, maybe you've heard it this way, kind of get your spiritual fill up, maybe fill your tank up spiritually, and then you can survive for the next seven days off of that spiritual fill up that you get on Sunday. But the truth is, Satan's attack doesn't stop whenever church dismisses. Okay, Satan's attack is probably going to happen sometime on Monday or Tuesday, and it's going to go all the way through the weekend. And by the time you get back to church, you're going to be spiritually battered and bruised. Might I suggest to you that as great as it is to come to church, and we want you to come to church, this church or any other good Bible-believing church, you find a church and you go to it. But simply coming to church is not as effective as being the church and being part of the church. If you don't have a church home that you belong to, I want to encourage and implore you today, do not try to fight this battle solo. It's one thing to have the shield. It's another thing to be in a group like this where you're completely protected. Pastor Ryan talked about Man Church. He talked about all these groups that are going to be happening. If you're not part of our church plugged in and in a group of other people that you can communicate with, please don't leave today until you've connected with a leader who can tell you how to get plugged in. Amen? It is so important that we do this in the context of a local church and not simply on our own. I'm so glad you all are here today. Did you all receive the word of God? Amen.